We're talking to Jeffrey White, CEO of Agility Africa, and today we're exploring this theme of bridging the equality gap while building strong, integrated African economies. Jeffrey, why do you think it is that there's this important need to build strong logistic frameworks across the continent? So I think it's it's a really interesting question and an interesting topic. The macro statistics you look at today for Africa show that um, over the next decade or so, Africa will become the biggest working age uh, populace uh, on the planet. So actually more than China, more than India, and have a huge population that is capable of actually of working age and, and, and building Africa's economy. Now, you then look around that and say for that, population to be successful and to actually become a manufacturing center and create jobs and prosperity, they have to be able to move goods to market. And that's whether it's internally in a country, regionally across borders, within the economic block, and having efficient logistics that reduce the cost of moving a container of goods from your manufacturing plant or your farm or your your source to market and, and getting that as world globally competitive. What are the biggest challenges here that are inhibiting us from making progress in the sector? So I think there's there's two sort of distinct areas you can break it into. And actually, both are making progress. Both have a, an awful lot of work to do to compete globally, but both are, are step by step coming up with solutions and, and advancing. Uh, the first one is what I call heavy capex-focused infrastructure, where you're building ports, railways, bridges, uh, and the logistics infrastructure to be able to not just move goods, but move goods at competitive prices, both, again, from country to country within Africa and from Africa to the rest of the world and the rest of the world into, into Africa. So that, that is a, a fairly slow, it needs government involved. It's, it's the creation of major infrastructure. I mean, ports at hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars, um, railways and such like. Then the second one is, is a little bit of an easier fix, which is getting border posts and the bureaucracy and the systems and the movements of goods from a paperwork uh, perspective and accountability perspective to be simpler, easier and faster. And both, both of those macro issues need to be addressed. But the reality is one needs huge amount of capital invested. The other one needs political will, working with the private sector and actually coming up with solutions. And there's really good examples of that in practice making real progress. So if I, if I look at the, the route from Mombasa to Kigali, from uh, the coast in Kenya through to the capital of uh, Rwanda, that used to take 26 days to deliver a, a container on average. That has now come down to eight days um, in relation to purely, not an investment in infrastructure, but purely actually getting all the border posts to talk to each other, the systems online, the systems speaking in one language, and the efficiencies in those processes. Now, that, that's great, 26 days down to eight days, but it's not, it's not so much about the time. It's about that has an immediate impact on the cost of moving a container from Mombasa to Kigali and, and brings that down, which then puts more money into the economy to stimulate further growth. There is progress in the sector. It does seem incremental, though. How fast is it moving? Is it moving faster now that there's a greater focus from African governments on the need to build these economies and be more inclusive? I'm a, I'm a great believer that actually being able to look at a, a success story and then replicate that makes the decision process an awful lot quicker. 
So I think it's it's a self-fulfilling program, if you like. So the more that individual little trade corridors or, or, or solutions get implemented, the more people can look at that and say, actually, if they can do it, why can't we? So the, the system gets more and more momentum in, in an overall basis because people can see it working elsewhere. So you're seeing growing competition between SADAC saying we want our systems to work within the, the SADAC block, the EAC the same, ECOWAS the same. Whereas as each one makes that little step forward, the others are saying, hang on, we can do that as well. Why, do, why don't we implement it? So I think, I think the momentum is increasing. You mentioned a little while ago about Africa's young business leaders and Africa's youth going to be some of the biggest contributors to our economy in the future. So now, how do we build an inclusive economic model around that? How to include those young people? Yeah, so if you look at the the recent McKinsey report, which is sort of uh, a good uh, opening point of understanding Africa, the reality is that... Currently, GDP in whole of Africa is about, in sub-Saharan Africa is about three trillion dollars or just a bit more. And they're forecasting that to grow to seven, seven and a half. But the significant line in that report is that they see 75% of that growth actually coming from the SME sector. And it's the SME sector, the indigenous businesses that are growing and formalizing and scaling up that are actually meeting that demand requirement and are, are going to be the growth of of real prosperity across the continent. And we see that as really interesting as agility. So we're building a network of distribution parks and warehousing facilities across the continent to sort of support that growth of the SME sector. Because the research that we did was that one of the biggest limiting factors to small companies, medium-sized companies, and then larger companies is the lack of operational infrastructure. So that's something that we at Agility have huge expertise in. We have 20 million square meters of logistics parks around the world. And we're bringing those same standards and those, those same infrastructure qualities into an African environment and building it as a platform to enable SMEs to grow and develop without having to go and raise huge money um, to build their own infrastructure. Let's talk a little bit more about Agility's infrastructure hubs that you've built throughout Africa. Agility has a very long history of infrastructure development across the continent. Can you break it down for us, what your relative business model is, again, behind some of that? And how has your process boosted infrastructure? Okay, so we, we, this, our, our latest program, which is probably the best one to focus on, is building, we've identified 50 locations, 5-0 locations, um, across the whole of Africa where we want to build distribution parks. Distribution parks are, are basically a secure environment with a compound wall around it that um, the power is guaranteed to stay on, the IT is guaranteed to work, and it's a safe environment where people can come and operate their businesses from. So if you look, we opened one uh, Q4 last year in Ghana, and I mean a great story there that really uh, epitomizes the whole of our strategy is is a local Ghanaian food processing and and, and um, packaging company that had been trying to break into the formal retail sector but hadn't made much progress. They'd gone to a, a South African merchant, a South African bank. They'd said we need to borrow money to build infrastructure because every time um, our customers come and see us. They're not happy to give us volume orders with the infrastructure we have. So they've been to a South African bank who had said, yeah, we love your business model. We'll lend you the money. I think it was $3 million. Um, but they wanted to charge 29% interest in CDs, in local currency, for the loan. 
which I mean was crippling for any small medium business. So as opposed to three million dollars at 29 percent, what they've been able to do is come into one of our agility warehouses where we funded and, and built and developed the, the warehousing. They've set up their, their same process there, but now in a, a proper international standard environment. And they've basically got the major food retailers around the world now coming to them and saying, we would like to buy everything you can produce. So that's been transformational for their business model. Their challenge now is equity uh, cash to, to support the growth of their business. But we see that warehousing, the, the units that we're building across the continent, provide that sort of uh, ability for SMEs to scale their business and grow, which is directly lined with what we think the business opportunity is across the continent. It's no small feat keeping the lights on and providing a safe environment, particularly where some of your infrastructure hubs are located in Africa. What are some of the biggest challenges here? Is this a replicable model? We find a piece of land that we either lease from the government or we, we purchase ideally 100 acres in each site. So that will enable us to make about 350,000 square meters of warehousing. We then keep on expanding it as, as the demand comes. So the, the challenges in that, as with probably most businesses in Africa, is around finding good human resources to work for us and execution on the ground. There's absolutely no um, thought that the markets aren't there. There's a, there's a surplus of customers. we lucky at Agility that we have a, a board that's committed to this program, so the funding is, is available uh, certainly in the, in the foreseeable future internally to build these projects. Um, the, the challenge, as with so much in Africa, is about actually getting the, the paperwork, the bureaucracy, the processes done, the construction done, and getting the facilities up and operational. Particularly one of the big issues that have come up in several sessions is a future of food production in Africa and securing a strong food economy. One of Agility's focus areas is agribusiness. How do we increase investment here from your point of view? So again, I think, I think the challenge is twofold. One is... Um, global manufacturers feeding into the African market and, and the, the um, opportunities in Africa. And the second one, which is probably, again, the main focus, is supporting the growth of agriculture, the export of African agricultural produce to the world, and the regional movement of agricultural goods from farm through a logistics chain to market, whether the market be domestic, regional, or or export. And that again just goes back down to having the capacity to store and handle produce. The, the land bank in Africa is huge. There's an oft used um, statistic that 60% of the world's unused arable land um, is in Africa. So you have a global population going from 6 billion people to 9 billion people. The agricultural output from Africa is going to become a very significant part of feeding those. What's missing and what there's a big focus on is building that logistics capability to not just harvest goods, but actually get them through to the consumer, through to the market. And one of the big challenges across the continent is how much production actually wastes um, on, on the ground before it actually gets to market. Can you give us an idea of what that is? So, I mean, the statistics vary massively from commodity to commodity and, and country to country. But I mean, as a rule of thumb, Probably in the fresh produce sector, um, 30 to 30 to 40 percent of produce never actually gets into the logistics chain to, to actually start going to market. Um, and that that's just without a massive increase in farming, that just 
facilitating the movement of, of that 30 to 40 percent of the produce that currently just uh, dies uh, dies at source um, is a huge market in its own right. You've mentioned before the role of, of technology in building smart systems. Can you give us a snapshot of the role that new technology would play in maybe addressing some of these issues? Yeah, so I think from a, a technology perspective, um, you're getting far more applications of uh, track and trace and understanding the flow of goods, bringing efficiency to the flow of goods, um, not just from the point of view of, of being able to monitor where each um, product is in the supply chain, but also that then gives you the ability to plan your movements more efficiently. And again, that's all about focusing on bringing down the cost of logistics, being able to move product from source to market, whether it be into Africa, out of Africa, across Africa, but bringing down that cost of, of logistics. And as border systems get more transparent, uh, governments put in um, simpler and more efficient systems on, on customs. Um, as that whole process develops, the cost of moving goods gets more efficient, and therefore Africa becomes more efficient uh, in, in a global marketplace and in a, in a domestic marketplace. You're looking at pathways to Africa's production future. Can you tell us how this the sort of idea also fits into what you'll be talking about? Yeah, I think that's that's a, a very similar um, concept that you need to, from a manufacturing perspective, you need to be able to manufacture efficiently. So that means that your power has to stay on, your labor force has to be committed. If you run your manufacturing plant on backup generators three days a week or even three days a month, your economics on a global basis are suddenly very challenging to be competing against other manufacturing centers. So it's about that seamless and, and people need to focus on looking at not just uh, an individual project, but a holistic route right the way through the supply chain. So where are your raw materials coming from? How do you reduce the cost of your raw materials and delivering your raw materials? How do you manufacture efficiently? How do you support your manufacturing process with reliable communications, with reliable um, power and, and, and infrastructure? Then how do you move your manufactured goods through to market, whether it be out to the US, into Europe, down to Asia, or next door to the, the neighboring African country. You have to look at that as a whole holistic um, uh, logistics chain from source through to consumer, and then you've got to work on getting that chain to actually be competitive with your competitors, whether they be in China or in, in Europe or, or in India. How does the African system of boosting this efficiency compared to other emerging markets like, like China and India. Can you give us a snapshot of where we fit in in terms of their progress and ours? Yeah, so current, currently, I think Africa's got lots and lots of opportunity, but very little delivery. So we're seeing a boom in, in um, local manufacturing, but really for domestic markets. And I think part of this whole focus on improving infrastructure, improving systems, um, making customs efficient, making government processes efficient, is about this move towards the, the African manufacturing opportunity, where if we can fix these issues and, and, and bring down the cost of the route to market, then Africa can start to compete better with China and India and other locations. And currently, we're behind the curve on that. But I think there's a huge amount of momentum and focus to try and make Africa more competitive. What do you suppose is the importance of uncovering that blended finance model to facilitate some sort of a feature like this? 
So I think, I mean, the, the cost of funding and how you operate your business are part of that. And, and again, I go back to the concept that it's important to look at your whole cost of doing business. So that's your wage costs through to your fuel costs, your energy costs, your marketing costs, your communications, your logistics. And overall, you have to apply that to your cost of goods getting to market. And you need to look at each one of those individual elements to be able to um, reduce those, make them as efficient as possible to to become world-class producers and manufacturers. I think that the, the opportunity, the door is wide open for Africa to, to be part and become a very serious manufacturing hub. But they've got to continue focusing on, on fixing the key issues that enable them to compete, um, not just domestically, but internationally. If we turn briefly back to this idea of Africa's youth and young business investors and entrepreneurs and the role they play in these processes, can we talk about the importance of, of them in this arena, particularly with building the future of African economies? How do we draw more of them into the sector and grow that potential and skills development? So I think it's a question of, of giving them support and um, to, to an extent the communications and technology boom that's going on in Africa is a great driver of that sector and the growth. So people are able to communicate easier, market easier. And what's interesting is you're seeing a, a very strong upward curve, a very strong traction in small companies taking significant market share in domestic markets. And that's because unlike to maybe multinationals that are trying to export into Africa, you've got uh, total flexibility and much much easier reactions to market conditions from local manufacturers owned by local businesses. And I think that's an opportunity that a huge number of, uh, whether it be the diaspora or the younger generation within Africa, are, are making real progress in, which is local companies that are, are, are competing with multinational brands actually taking proper significant market share. We talked about the need for Africa to develop these important ports, roads, and uh, transportation networks to move these goods and services around. Most of Africa is landlocked, so a lot of inter-country cooperation is necessary as well to build those networks. How do we encourage those transnational border cooperation? So I think I mean, the, the starting point would be the economic blocks, the trade blocks that already exist. So the East Africa community, and there's, there's numerous examples of the EAC working significantly to improve trade and the flow of trade. And, and I think that's a, a momentum that's building. And as I say, as more projects are completed successfully and people understand the benefits that came from them, the door opens wider for similar projects to be, to be replicated. Likewise, in West Africa, ECOWAS, I think, is currently behind the EAC in, in these initiatives. But there's a growing understanding from manufacturers in Nigeria that they would be great if they could deliver to Senegal. But I mean, currently, they've got to go through 26 uh, checkpoints with a truck to deliver from Nigeria to, um, to Senegal. And that's timely, it's cost, it's, it's inefficient, um, costly, and the process. And I think the governments need to speak more coherently together and have more focus about improving that trade flow of, of goods across the, the blocks. I think to do it on an Africa-wide um, basis 
uh, all at once is, is a challenge and is, is difficult. But I think within these established trade blocks, there's a real opportunity to create free trade zones that actually um, uh, enhance the flow of goods and hence um, the, the input of manufacturers and the market for manufacturers. If we're looking at some of those governmental challenges, um, one of the biggest inhibitors there is maybe violent conflicts as well. How does that impact on those economies' ability to grow investments in SMEs? I, I personally, I don't think it's as impactful as as we think. I mean, there are obviously regions that are are more volatile than others, but as as a whole, um, when you look at sub-Saharan Africa, um, the political stability on on mass is improving very significantly year on year. Um, there, there are some areas that clearly have some tension, but overall within ECOWAS, I mean within the EAC, um, I think we're seeing improved stability. Ghana just went through uh, its transition. I think from a, a, an FDI perspective and an external viewpoint of looking at the continent, people should be more confident than they, they have been 10 years ago, and I think that's a, a process that's going to continue. If we're looking at the new context of building trust on the continent, can you talk us through how that sort of relates to some of these issues and what stands out for you here? So again, I still still believe that a, when I talk to sort of global companies, what's interesting is that um, if you spoke to them five, ten years ago, they didn't really have a plan for Africa. I think two things have, have happened. One is the rest of the world and a lot of their their traditional developed markets are slowing down economically. In fact, so they, to an extent, have been much more open for looking for new new markets and, and new areas to grow. And secondly, I think the clarity on the growth and the understanding of the macros of, of African demographics, the urbanization, the growth in population, the potential size of the market is making it more and more increasingly attractive um, for investors. I think it's, it's hard to find a global company now that hasn't got a plan to go to Africa. Their challenge is how do they actually execute accessing the market, whether it's be appointing distributors or, again, using the right infrastructure to actually go in and, and address the market. But, I, again, I think the... Uh, the perception was historically that Africa was somewhere that interested them. I think that perception, misconception, is slowly purely eroding, and people are beginning to get more and more excited about what the African uh, growth story can actually do and how it can be aligned to multinational corporations' business. And in stark contrast, so many of their traditional markets are stagnating at best. So there's a, a growing impetus to want to go to Africa. It's all about how do we actually execute that now. What are some of your hopes and ambitions for the outcomes of this conference, and where do you see what these discussions progressing? So I think, again, it's, um, it's, it's not hugely productive to sit and discuss issues ad, ad nauseum without actually coming up with an action plan and looking for real tangible output that makes a difference. So certainly on, on the, the issues that uh, we're involved in, it's very much about, okay, do you understand it, understand the challenges, but how do we make a difference? How do we move the, not just the dialogue, but the actual, the implementation of a plan to solve these issues forward? So as a company, we believe that, I mean, our investment program is, is one tiny little step in, in what Africa needs. And it's a question of encouraging other people to be doing similar sort of investment programs and building capacity across the continent to support economic growth and prosperity. And so for me, um, the, the meetings in Durban are very focused on, okay, 
put a plan together that is actually actionable and can show tangible results. Thank you very much. That was Jeffrey White, CEO of Agility Africa. Thank you for talking to us.